Good morning, everybody. We are in Titus chapter 2 this morning. If you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to Titus chapter 2. If you don't know where Titus is, find Revelation, the very last book in the Bible, and start working your way back left, and you'll get there very shortly. So it's an easy way to find Titus. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about uh, hygiene, because that's what Sunday school should be about every once in a while, right? A little hygiene lesson. So um, if you were to Google the word hygiene, you get a lot of different results. Um, You get things like deodorant, right? Everybody, we'll vote. We'll do a thumbs up, thumbs down on yes or no. So deodorant is a, everybody thumbs up. Excellent, good. So we'll put deodorant there. Uh, What about shampoo? Thumbs up, thumbs down? Thumbs up. Excellent. Uh, A a brush. What about this? You think about this as hygiene or not? Not so much? So in health class, it was hygiene, right. Because if you don't comb your hair, what happens to your hair? It gets very rough, right? It gets, you get dreadlocks. No, it's, it's a little more that takes place before you get dreadlocks. It gets very, very rough. Um, I had a beard for several years before anybody told me that I should comb my beard on a daily basis. And I went, that's really stupid. It's like this long. They said, no, 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 it'll make it soft. What does that have to do with, I kid you not, if you comb your beard on a daily basis, it is soft. Don't understand this why, but that's hygiene tip for the day, if you didn't know that one. Um, so we've got soap. Soap. Pretty much a universal thumbs up on the soap, right? We've got uh, jelly beans, right? How'd that get in there? I don't know. We'll put that back in there. Uh, we've got uh, toothbrush, toothpaste. We've got uh, Q-tips, because everybody needs Q-tips, because that's what they're awesome for. Um, I've got... Uh, what else? Anna Grace gave me this. She found sample sizes in her. This is floss. floss. There we go. Yeah, I, I don't floss. Sorry. It's just it's not happening. I'm 38 years old. I've never had a cavity, and I've never flossed on a daily basis. So that's just the way that works. Good genes there. And then everybody's favorite, mouthwash. mouthwash. Yes. So uh, hygiene. So important, not important, good, not good. Very, yeah, it's... It's, it's important until it becomes very important. And it becomes very important when you're near that person that is missing one of these, right? And then it becomes very, very obvious. So the reason I want to talk about these things today is because our text today uses the word hygiene several different times in the Greek. And literally, it's talking about healthy. It's talking about what is right and what is good and what will keep us healthy for a period of time. Now, if you look at the top of your handout, the name of this series is Titus Toward a Healthy Church. So what does, what does a healthy church look like? Well, a healthy church looks like people that are healthy, that comprise it. So let's take a look at what Titus has to say. So as each week we start, we'll look at last week's text. Um, and if you did not get a chance to hear uh, Sean McGarvey, where's he at? He's over there. I saw the glare. Um, if you did not get a chance to hear the lesson last week, please go online and listen to that. You can go to that link at the bottom, stewartheightsorg school, uh, and it'll take you to um, uh, a chance to hear that lesson. It was just fantastic. So Titus 1, verses 10 through 16 from last week. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. 
This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. Even their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So, great group of folks here, right? I mean, these are the folks you want to babysit your kids. No, not quite. So, today, as we kind of move in, if we're talking about maturity and hygiene, so just as good hygiene is important to physical health, good hygiene is important to church health. Good hygiene is important to church health. If you're taking notes, that's your first blank on your handout. So today we start Titus chapter 2, it's week 4 of our series. So verse 1, but as for you, so who's, who's Paul writing to? Titus. Titus, yes, it's the easy question of the day. But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are proper or suitable or, or right for sound doctrine. And that word for sound is the Greek word uh, hygiano, hygiano, and that's the word for healthy. That's your blank, healthy. For healthy doctrine. And the reality is that there is healthy doctrine and there is unhealthy doctrine, right? And, and we kind of inherently understand this, but until you hear it, sometimes it's not as apparent. So unhealthy doctrine would be um, God's okay with how you are. You just enjoy yourself. Life is all about you. Pretty much any TV commercial is unhealthy doctrine, pretty much. Not everyone, but pretty much. Healthy doctrine is life is all about God, and He can change you to make you what you were supposed to be. Well, that's healthy doctrine. Completely different perspective. So he tells Titus here, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for healthy doctrine. Verse 2, that, so everything that follows is a result here of that, of this healthy doctrine, and this is important. Um, that the older men be, this is present tense, sober. Now, the, the word for sober literally means not drunk, but it also means circumspect, and that's your blank, circumspect. It's a math word. Um, so if you have a circle, the part of the outside of the circle is called the what? The circumference, right? And it literally means the around, the around. And circumspect is somebody who can see around that decision to see what the result is going to be. So the idea is that I am not rash. I am not overly quick in making judgments. I'm thinking through what I'm doing, and I'm trying to see around that corner to what's the result of this action going to be. So being circumspect is a good thing. And you would think that the older men would be circumspect. You would think that the older men would have some life history to be able to see around these things and go, yeah, this makes sense. So since we're talking about older men, let's define what older men are. So um, in this context, in first century life, the average lifespan was somewhere between 25 and 30 years old. Okay? Now, the reason that doesn't make a lot of sense to us is that the infant mortality rate was horrible. I mean, it was awful. Kids died all the time in childbirth, and then they died a lot immediately thereafter childbirth. 
Um, even in London, I, I was reading some stats this week. Even in London, up until the 1750s, the 1760s, 75% of children died before the age of five. Can you imagine this? So, so put, your, put your math brain on for just a second. If you have all these zeros, one, two, threes, fours, and fives averaged in with everybody else, it brings your average lifespan way, way, way down. If, however, in the first century you lived to be the age of 10, you had a really good shot of living to be 40 or 45, that would be considered a full life, 40 or 45 years old at this time, the time Paul is writing this. So anybody who was really about 35 years and older would have fallen into the quote-unquote older man category. Okay? So how does that redefine this passage for you? Just a little bit, right? Yay. So I'm an old dude in the Bible. Cool. This is one of the reasons that John, when he was writing from the island of Patmos at the age of 90, it was just unheard of. 0.001% of people at that time lived to be that old. It was just, it was absolutely unheard of. So who were the older men? Well, mid-30s, mid-30s. So that the older men be sober, circumspect, reverent. This is respected for their character. So at the age of 35, they were supposed to be respected for their character. That raises the bar by lowering the number, doesn't it? Temperate. This is the word for safe in mind or self-controlled, moderate opinions and passions. So this is not somebody who's going to be flying off one side one day and flying off the other side the next day. This is temperate. Sound. Here's your blank. Healthy in faith, in love, in patience. So there is a way to be healthy in your faith, healthy in your love, healthy in your patience. Now, If I go back to my hygiene products up here and I decide to use every single one of these as they're supposed to be used, my body will lend itself toward being healthier, right? Just because I'm taking care of the basic hygiene. This makes sense. Okay. So let's just say I decide to stop brushing my teeth. I'm just going to stop. This is actually my toothbrush. I'm going to stop brushing my teeth. What happens if I miss it one day? Yeah, Julie says, uh-uh. <laughs> uh, two days. Yeah, something, something's wrong at this point, right? But have I done any long-term damage to my teeth for two days? Probably not. Probably not. What about three months? <laughs> it's hard to even say those words. I mean, we're talking just... Divorce. Yeah, divorce. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. she's looking up those passages in the Bible. She's calling people. So it's is like, not brushing in there. Can I, can I do that? Is that okay? Um, you can be, and here, here's my point, you can be really, really healthy with one part of your body and really unhealthy with another part. And so the same goes with our relationships inside the church with God. You can be really, really healthy with a whole lot of stuff and have this absolutely horrible thing that everybody around you can see is wrong. Does this make sense? So this is not a one box checked and we're good. There's a lot of things here. 
So healthy in faith, in love, in patience. Verse 3, the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior. This is their demeanor or the way they carry themselves. Not slanderers. Does anybody have a different word in your, in your Bible for slanderers? So thanks for turning to Titus 2. I appreciate that. A different word for slanderers in your Bible. It's in Titus 2, verse 3. Devils. Thank you. The Greek word is diablos. So Titus is literally telling, uh, Paul is literally telling Titus to tell the old women not to be devils. <laughs> Which I think is the thank you, Captain Obvious, verse of the day. Uh, of course don't be the devil. Why would we want people to be the devil? The devil, this word, means the accuser, means the slanderer, means the one that's throwing stuff against the wall constantly trying to see if something will stick. And I'm just throwing it. I'm just throwing it. I'm just throwing it. I'm just throwing it. Trying to get as much accusation, as many accusations as I can against somebody. And he says, don't be like that. That's not what the goal is here. The goal is not to be the devil. Not given... And this word forgiven is enslaved or in bondage to much wine. Now, the, the Greek philosophers and the physicians, they generally would deny wine to very young people because they weren't idiots, right? Um, but they actually prescribed it for older men and substantial volumes of it for older women. I kid you not. I'm not making any value judgments. I can't make any assessments other than telling you the context of the day, which was that many folks actually had what would be our modern-day equivalent of a doctor's note to go drink a lot. And Paul's telling Titus, that's not good. <laughs> so I'm just going to let you make what you want to make of that one. Um, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Verse 4, that, so in order to... so. So the reverent in behavior, the not devils, the not drunk, the teachers of good things, those are all present so that we can do this next step, that they admonish the young women. That word admonish, I'm going to tell you your blank here in just a second. It's the present tense. It means make a sound mind, dis, uh, discipline, correct, teach, restore to her senses, moderate, control, curb, hold her to her duty, exhort earnestly. And I'm going to tell you a story before I give you the blank was in a Wednesday night Bible study, and it was Jen Campbell, right? Jen Campbell. And uh, I think, Brian, was Brian leading it, actually? Or was... I, I can't remember. It, it may have been you guys leading it. Uh, we were upstairs in the team room, in the teen room, uh, and I remember, I remember where I was sitting when she said this. Uh, she was talking about... The, we, we were having a discussion about being transparent and being open and being truthful and real with those that we go to church with. And she said, you know, sometimes I just feel like I'm crazy. I feel like I'm absolutely crazy. I've got these kids at home, and I feel like I'm going crazy. And she said, uh, I was talking to uh, Bobby Light, and she said, Bobby took me by the shoulders and looked me in the eye and said, you're not crazy. That's normal. And she said it was just like a, this weight had been lifted that I'm not out here on the fringe. I'm not this, you know, this is normal. So the word here is make sane. 
S-A-N-E, to make sane. The older women are supposed to come along and make sane the younger women. You know why? Because raising kids is crazy sometimes. (laughs) I, I love the reality of this is what's needed. Right? I mean, this is just, it's hard sometimes. It's very, very hard sometimes. So, to make sane the young, or it could be translated new women. It could, this might be directed at new brides or people who are just entering womanhood. To love their husband. This is an interesting word. That whole phrase, love their husbands, is one word. It's a compound word. It's the word friend and man. It literally means just to be fond of your husband, which kind of makes you wonder, why do you have to be taught that? Because you need to be taught that. That's why. Because you're not always going to be fond of your husband. Shocker, right? (laughs) This is brilliant. The practicality that exists in Titus chapter 2 is boots on the ground. We're getting to the real stuff here because this is tough. And then the next phrase, to love their children. This is the word for friend and children because there's going to be times that you're not going to love your kids. I'm just telling you. There's going to be times you want to take their little heads and snap them off. And you don't get to do that. And you need somebody to come alongside and tell you, I've been through this and you can get through this too. And here's some tips and some advice. And here's the way to do it. It makes Jesus happy. And yes, one day they will not be living with you. Right? I mean, the, the, the react. What's that? And then you will like them, yeah. And then they'll come back. Spoken from somebody who has gone through this process. So thank you. This is good. There's hope. There is hope. Now, we believe in what's called the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. Okay? So the verbal, so it was breathed out, and plenary is the exact words were used and the right order was used. So I want us to get something from the way Paul communicates this here. He tells them to love who first? Their husbands. And then who second? The children. That's your blanks. You love your husbands first and your children second. And the reality is there will be times that you will be tempted to say, that decision that you made, big boy, is an idiotic decision about those kids. And right now, I love those kids more than I love you. Yep. It it will be there. That will happen. And the reality is, those kids will leave home one day, and you will get to spend somewhere between 40 and 50 years with that person. Hopefully. Yay. (laughs) Um, That was not sarcastic. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Just to clear that up. I have a... I have a date in my calendar when Caleb graduates from college, okay? This is, we're counting down. This is good. I love him, but I love her more. And I intend to wear this thing the rest of my life with her. And, and I'm looking forward to that. Cause, and I, I tell my kids this, and some of you are going to go, this is awful parenting. So now I've gotten off into this is Jim's advice to you to help the kids understand where they are in the house. I tell the kids, when I come home, mama gets the first hug and first kiss, and they get to wait. And they get to see that I love mom more. 
And what that does is that keeps them from trying to gang up on either one of us because they know I'm with her and she's with me. It's worked pretty good so far. Now, they may go crazy next week. I have no idea. <laughs> but I'm with her and she's with me. And that's the way this is going to work in our house. So, love your husbands first and their children second. Number f- Verse 5, to be discreet. This is the same word in Titus 2.2, translated temperate. So this, this idea of safe in mind, self-control. Uh, chaste, this is the clean or innocent, the, the pure. Uh, homemakers, this is the, a compound word. It means home and this idea of guarding and working and keeping. So literally it's, it's guarding the home. It's this keeping the home. Um, th- this is the same word. I'm sorry, I'm, getting, I'm off my blanks here. Homemakers, good or useful or beneficial. Obedient. This is the same word in Ephesians 5.22. Wives be, I'm not going to say it, yeah. Uh, submissive to your own husbands, right? This is the same word. It means, it's a, it's a military term meaning to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader in non-military use. It's a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. It is we are doing this together. It is not I am off doing my thing, and, and you're off doing your thing. Uh, when I went to college, uh, I had a, a pretty good bit of basketball coaching experience by the time I went to college. I coached my first basketball team when I was 16 years old, coached another when I was 17, and two when I was a senior in high school. Love game of basketball. So when I went to college at Bob Jones University, we had uh, a society that had a basketball team, and they asked me to coach the basketball team. I said, cool, sure, let's do that. That'd be great. So first semester, things went really, really well. Second semester, we had a guy transfer into the university who was 6'3 220, athletic as the day is long. I was like, we're going to do a little recruiting here, boys. So we recruited him, and we got him. And then, then he introduced himself to me. And he said, Jim, I hear you're the basketball coach. I sure am. My name's Maverick. Did your mama call you that? And I was redneck enough at the time that I could get away with stupid stuff like that. Um, uh, No, that's my nickname. That's because I like to do things on my own. Ooh, yeah. Um, Afraid I'm going to have a little issue with that one. Because we're either going to be a team or you're going to get to watch from the stands. So that's how this is going to work. And you'd have thought that I took and and just spit in his face. Because he did not react well. Um, and I was quite thankful that I had two six foot three, 250-pound guys standing behind me at that time uh, that had my back because he, he did not react very well at all. And the reality is mavericks don't do well in Christianity because it's not meant to be isolationists. We're meant to do this together. We're meant to go around and be obedient and every, so here's the reality. The the reality is that everybody is in submission. Okay? Everybody is in submission. Everybody gets all spun up about this concept. Everybody's in submission. Because when you go to your place of employment, there are things you don't get to do. Right? Now, I don't want to put any weird thoughts in anybody's minds, but 
there's a certain way that I am required to dress when I go to work. And going into work, wearing what I went over to Justin and Carrie's house uh, last Saturday to go swimming would not fly. That would not work, right? Because I am in submission to that framework. Everybody's under submission. Everybody's actually under a whole lot of different angles of submission, but we'll move on. So good, obedient to their own husbands, so that the word of God may not be blasphemed. I'm going to read you an extended quote here from this guy named Towner. Never heard of him before. Love this quote. We have brought into the, nation, into the notion, we have bought into the notion that the older people have had their day of usefulness and ought to make way for the young. But the principle here is quite the opposite. With age and experience come wisdom, and many older women have discovered secrets of godly living in relation to their husbands, children, and neighbors, and in the workplace that could save younger women a lot of unnecessary grief. And when the unavoidable trials come to the young woman, who better to guide her through than an older sister who has been through it before? Here's your blank. Somehow the church must see that the younger women have contact with older women. Must happen. Must happen. Um, one of the things when Daryl uh, let me start uh, this Sunday school class here at this campus, he said, so what's your age range going to be? I said, yes. Because <laughs> I read it as whosoever will. And he didn't, oh, he didn't like that answer. Oh, my goodness, he didn't like that answer. He said, well, how about adults? I said, well, what if the, their kids want to come? Why would their kids want to come? I was like, well, I'm going to try to make it so that they like it. Here's an answer. Uh, okay, all right, all right. He said, but what's your, what's your upper age limit? I don't know, 80? Is that okay? 85? He's like, what, what, what do you, that, that's, that's my class. He's like, I know, but what if they don't like you? <laughs> Our relationship got a lot better after that conversation. Um, so I learned what stupid things not to say. Uh, so the way I pitched it so that everybody could be included here was that one of my things is that I want this to be a microcosm of people being able to sit next to other people who have said, I've done that before. I've been there before. I've seen that. Here's what you don't want to not do because this is a bad option. This is a really good option. So that's the reason... There's ranges from, Kristen, I don't know how old you are, 16? 17. So, so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's <laughs> the worst mistake I could make. 17 to not 17. That's the, the range that's in here. So, awesome. We're just going to leave it at that. Verse 6. Uh, likewise, so in the same manner, exhort, and remember exhort is the, I'm going to put my arm around you and walk with you, the young or new men to be sober-minded. And this is the same word used in Titus 2 and Titus, uh, Titus 2, 2 and 2, 5. Now, the strange thing here is that this is the only command of the young men. Because he shifts gears and he starts talking to Titus again in verse 7 specifically. So the only thing that Titus is to command the young men to do is to be sober-minded. You know why, right? Squirrel. Because young men are going to chase everything. And they need very simple, this, this is the goal right here. Young women, far more intelligent, far more able to follow a set of directions. Young men, I need to focus on one thing because they're expected to have that one thing mastered by the time they're old men, and that's a big deal. So verse 7, let's take a look. In all things showing yourself or exhibiting, exhibiting yourself. So he's talking to Titus here to be a pattern of good works. Now, what was Paul's occupation? 
What kind of tents did he make? What did he make them out of? Anybody know? Goat skin, that's right. They took the hair and the skins from goats. They had these very particular type of black goats that lived in, the, uh, in this area. And they could weave them so tightly that they would be waterproof, which is kind of cool because a tent that's not waterproof is you just wasted your time, I mean, right? I mean, this is ridiculous. So you're traveling. You pull out your goatskin tent. It's all black. You pop it up, sleep there for the night, move right along. And Paul made these. He sewed these things together. If you want a good Bible study, one of the best ones I've ever seen is do a study on the sewing language that Paul uses in the New Testament. It is all over the place. He teaches people to rightly divide the word. That's the word for cutting. You're going to rightly divide. You're following a pattern because if you get off the pattern, you're not going to end up with what you wanted to make. You're going to end up with something else, which is the same thing with dividing the Scripture. If you do not rightly divide the Scripture, you'll end up in a location that is substantially different from the pattern. The pattern here is I'm supposed to be in all things showing good works. That's the pattern. So it's not cut two inches and go left and cut two inches and go right and cut. It's good works. That's the pattern. When people look at Titus's life, they were supposed to see a pattern of good works, just like you would follow a pattern. Now, how many of you had parents that made you clothes when you were growing up? Anybody? Oh, you did too. I'm so sorry. Um, so my mom made us clothes, and we were, I actually got in trouble at school for saying this one day, uh, because the teacher said it wasn't true, and I, I still think it's true, but that's okay, because my mom explained to us our financial status. She said, here's rich people, and here's poor people, and here's us, so stop asking for things, because we ain't got it. So, so mom would make clothes for us, and she would buy the fabric that was on clearance, now, that's great that we saved some money. The problem is that there's a reason they put fabric on clearance, because <laughs> it didn't sell for 15 years. And we had shorts and shirts that were just, I mean, Mama, I love you, but well, they were awful. I mean, they were awful. And she was learning how to sew. <laughs> God love her. Um, and there's no telling how much money we save by having her sew the clothes and put things together and whatnot. But it, we, we looked like homeless children. I mean, it was, it was really bad at times. Now, now to, to her credit, to her credit, we were squeaky clean, I'm telling you. There was, no, there was no dirt on us anywhere, but whew, some rough-looking rough looking clothes. So in all things, show yourself to be a pattern of good works. That was a free story, by the way. In doctrine, showing integrity or incorruptibleness, reverence. This is uh, gravity. This is having some weight. Not like the weight that I have. This is the, uh, the weight that there's something of substance here. Uh, incorruptibility. Verse 8, sound speech. That's the word healthy again. So healthy speech. So what is healthy speech? Well, healthy speech is going to be something that, that builds up, that allows something else to grow that cannot be condemned or be blamed, that one who is an opponent may be shamed. So this opponent is the same word, um, this the antagonistic, the contrary. It's the folks that, that Titus was being told about at the end of chapter 1 to stand, the elders are supposed to stand up and call that person out. 
So they're supposed to be ashamed through Titus's speech, having nothing evil to say of you. Verse 9, exhort bondservants. Oh, I, wanna, I skipped over something. The young women. Who did Titus tell to talk to the young women? The older women. Titus was not to do that with the old, young women. Titus was to tell the older women to have that counsel with the younger women. Because if Titus went and, and had all these little counseling sessions with these uh, young, newly married Cretans, how do you think that's going to work? That's not going to work very well at all. That's not going to work. So, so Paul was very wise here to say, there's a buffer. Use that buffer. This is wise. So stick it down to verse 9. Exhort bondservants. Now, the word here is very, very plainly slaves. And a lot of people take the principles that are learned in these two verses and apply them to the workplace. And I think that's great. I think that you can very easily do that. But please understand, when Paul was writing this, that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about somebody in, that was a slave or a servant in a home. Okay, so exhort bond servants to be obedient, this is the present tense, to their own masters. Did I put the Greek word in there? What does that word look like? Despot. Despot. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> so this is not a, a pleasant, not necessarily a pleasant master. This could be a really bad master. To be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. This is, again, one of the words used in Titus 1.9 for those people that the elders should rebuke. Verse 10, not pilfering. Hadn't seen that word in a while. The King James actually uses the word purloining. Spell that one for me, okay? I'm going to give you a harder one to spell. Embezzling, that's the word in your blank. Embezzling. And this is actually the same word that's used in uh, Acts chapter 5 for Ananias and Sapphira, what they did. Remember what they did? They, they sold some land and they brought money to the feet of the apostles but what did they do with some of it? They kept back just a little, we think, or maybe more, just as some. They kept back some of it, and they didn't tell the truth about that. And Paul is telling Titus here, you teach these slaves not to embezzle. Now, the problem was, in John Calvin's commentary, he says, an exchange of names took place in ancient times by which servant and thief had become convertible terms. It's kind of sad. So... The slaves were actually expected to steal. This was just part of their life. They, they just stole. That's what slaves did at this time. But in, not, instead of doing that, but showing good fidelity or good faith in order that they may adorn. The Greek word here is cosmeo. It's where we get our English word cosmetics. That they may adorn or put in proper order or decorate or adorn. The, your word is garnish. That they may garnish the doctrine of our God our Savior in all things. Because there is a way that you can do your work that will bring glory to God. And there is a way that you can do your work that will not bring glory to God. And embezzling does not bring glory to God. Let me just be very clear. Now, whether it's embezzling that has a comma in it or embezzling that's that pen that I take once a week. Embezzling is embezzling. Taking is taking. Stealing is stealing. It's the same Magnitude makes no difference to God. Stealing is stealing. So Adam Clark's got a great line here at the end of this, kind of summarizing this, this big chunk of text. He says, The Judaizing teachers not only taught a false doctrine in Titus 1, but they led an unholy life. Titus was to act directly opposite. He must teach a sacred doctrine and the things which become it. He must proclaim the truth and illustrate, illustrate that truth. 
Principle and practice go hand in hand. Principle and practice go hand in hand because the evil side of this was we're liars and our lives show it. And the righteous side of this is that we're truth tellers and we live in the truth and what we, what we learned comes from the truth and the way we behave is a result of being taught the truth and our lives show it. So what's the point? All right, so number one, everyone has biblical expectations. This is common sense, right? Everybody's got some level of biblical expectations. The how does that apply to me is focus on mine. Don't focus on somebody in another category. Focus on your biblical expectations. And then number two, healthy doctrine leads to healthy lives, leads to healthy churches. This trickles downhill. You don't start with a healthy church and then end up with healthy doctrine. That's not the way this works. The only way you get to a healthy church is you start with healthy doctrine, you impact lives, and collectively this becomes a healthy church. So what, is that, what do I do with that? Well, number two at the bottom is look for the indicators of good hygiene in my life. And if you're not sure how you're doing, ask somebody. It's one of the reasons he put us together in groups. And if somebody asks you, love them enough to tell them the truth that their breath stinks or that it doesn't. Either way. Does that make sense? Excellent. All right, so next week we're going to look at uh, Trained by Saving Grace, Titus 2, 11 through 15. That's your homework, so please read through that. Uh, on your tables is a piece of paper. If you make sure everybody's name is on that, that you record your prayer requests, take a couple minutes and pray as a group, and you are dismissed. Thanks for coming to Sunday school today. <laughs>